I, I have to say, um, you know, I, when I was going to the Houston Vineyard, when I first started going there, and, and I was really kind of secretly there, hiding out there, and I invited people to church, and I had a friend come to church, uh, and you know him, Michael McGuire, and after two or three months, uh, I realized how different we were. Michael, the introvert and the socially awkward person, was getting all these invitations to places and with people. He all, he, in three months, he knew more people in my church than I did. And you know why? It's because he made himself a little bit vulnerable, and he uh, would ask, hey, can I join you guys? And I wasn't willing to do that. So all of a sudden, he had all these invites, and now he's taking me to people's homes in our church that I did not know. I thought, all right, I need a different strategy on my emotional status. So uh, I want to invite you into taking that risk. We have been talking about the right message. Uh, what does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? And I'm really talking about for the people around us. What does that message do? How does it, how does it appear on a, on a, on a believer? Um, and, and we kind of focused in on, we zeroed in on, it looks like faith, hope, and love because it really demonstrates in Scripture these are kind of anchors of that message. These are anchors of our mantra, of our identity, our faith, hope, and love. So we started this journey really looking at hope um, and how it portrays the gospel. How does it characterize the gospel? And in the scripture, we began to see where we often downgrade hope to be a, a, just another random feeling. I hope we can get into the theater. I hope they're not out of the chocolate pie when we get there. I hope. We use hope in kind of a loose, random way. So it becomes another emotion. It's like anger or desire uh, loneliness, hope becomes one of those. And what scripture does is brings great correction into that concept of hope, that it actually is a lifeline and it, and it calls it an anchor of the soul. And it anchors us to the very throne of God. So it begins to reveal itself as something pretty strategic and pretty powerful to someone navigating this life. And so we see it as this Anchor, and it says that it is an anchor that actually is attached to the very throne of God. So it's not placing a hope in a person, in a relationship, in a job, in a talent, a skill, an education, uh, a geography, it is, uh, an election. It is placing that hope. Not only is it not in this world, it's not even from this time. So it's anchored beyond this world and beyond our sphere. And so it makes it powerful enough to take us wherever it is that we go in this life. So it is that anchor of the soul. It, it says that it gives or it restores our real direction, our, our real identity, our real purpose. All of that is connected into hope. You can see why hopeless people lose direction. They lose identity. They lose purpose. That's why they can drift. That's why they can make really incredibly tragic decisions. This is what hope provides for us. It offers, it extends that staying power in difficult times. It makes perseverance 
a reality that is actually going somewhere. It's not just existing, but it is actually a, a perseverance or a sustenance that's actually got a direction to it. Hope is always has a direction. Always. And so when we latch on to the hope of the gospel, a hope of the kingdom, it will portray itself in the world, in our sphere around us, in a way that the scripture says this. People are going to ask you about that. If you live anchored to the throne of God and it's providing your purpose and your destiny and your perseverance, people are going to, they're going to see you are different. And it says, be ready to answer that question. Be ready to answer that question. Isn't that interesting that the scripture actually is coaching us? Now, when you live like this, people are going to recognize something. They're not going to know what, but, there's, but the scripture says, so be ready. Be ready, coach yourself, be ready to go with the answer for that hope. It is that very visible and true expression of the gospel. Coming out of hope, we want to look at faith. Um, the people of the message, the scripture says that we're going to live by something different and new, and it's going to be faith. Romans 1, uh, verse 17 says, For the gospel of righteousness of God is revealed. It's demonstrated. It's shown. It's expressed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it was written, the righteous will live by faith. It is the new way upon which we have life. We're not getting life from a marriage, from our children. We're not getting life from our, our money, our dreams, our hopes, our vacation, our hope for vacation. But we are getting actual life through our belief and our understanding and our conviction. We will look further at that faith in a moment. Hebrews 10, verses 38 and 39 says, and, and what you're going to see is the scripture continues to come back to this idea that the righteous, what are the righteous? It is the people of God, the people that are in relationship with God, the people that are tracking with God, the people that are connected with God. It says they, those people, they're going to live and find life and have life because of faith and in faith. But my righteous ones will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the ones who shrink back, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Same way in Galatians. He's mentioning this to the region of Galatia. Uh, th chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. I'm going to change that just a little bit. It is clear that no one can be made right by following a certain set of standards or rules. It is clear that no one can get there by their accomplishments and their performance. You're not going to get there with how well you can do anything, including follow a set of rules. 
For the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. And it says this is through believing and following that belief. Letting that belief actually become something that produces in us. That's what that faith is. So scripture characterizes a faith. It is a belief and a trust that is powerful enough that you act upon it. It is a belief and a trust in that belief that you act upon it. It is powerful enough that it converts inside you to an action. You see, <clears throat> many people who smoke believe smoking is bad for them. They really believe it. I mean, a lot of people who smoke believe smoking is bad. Do they have faith that smoking is bad? I think they would have a real conviction, a belief. All right? But it's not necessarily something that's driving them to change. And that's true for anything in our life. We can believe something exists. We can believe something is true. But does it have the power within us to alter how we take action? You see, faith in God will demand an action. It will demand something come out of that. And that's, that's when it becomes faith. So we have this hope and we have a trust. And then those things are completed and become faith when we act upon them. Faith is about the result of that belief, that trust, and that conviction becoming a substance in you and I. It's the substance of life. <clears throat> so faith starts in a place of humility. God is calling us to a place of believing your rules and your performance, my rules, your performance, just your performance, everybody's rules and your performance are not going to produce life. Only I can do that. Only I can. And you're going to have to accept that. You're going to have to come to the place where in your skills, in your know-how, in your desire, you cannot produce life. And you're going to have to get that from me. That's a pretty humbling experience to really take that on. You're going to have to trust. And then you're going to have to take that action. <clears throat> Matthew 11, we look at humility. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. This is out of the message. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion or performance? Come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Get away with me and you'll recover life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay any heavy or ill-fitted on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. The text says, Come to me, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To humble yourself means to come into that place with Jesus. Surrender your know-how and take on who he is. Humility begins in this quiet, soft, gentle place. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So faith takes a humility. Faith takes a trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, years ago, uh, Carlos Quintanilla did not know me all that well. We were in Mexico, and I was doing a message. He was translating, and I said, um, and I've shared this a couple of times, but I said, um, do you know God has a weakness? And Carlos just stared at me. He said, I'm not saying that. I said, go ahead and say it. I'm not saying that. Carlos, trust me and say it. And he stood there kind of staring at me. And I mean, the people are just looking and we're like this. And, and he's, just, he's just staring me down like, I'm not going to say it. And finally he says this. He says, okay, I'm going to say it because I trust you. But he, he cheated a little bit. He said, Bill says God has a weakness. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. I think that's enough trust. If I say the Lord said instead of Bill said, okay, that'll work. You see, God puts us in those places where we have to trust more than our understanding. The life of faith will be a life that is always producing out of what does not exist. It is why being a people of miracles has become so difficult for the church. It's because we are a people of sight. We are a people of understanding. And it makes a life of faith very, very difficult, very elusive. Uh, and so it makes it difficult to walk with God because we're, we're really limited, by and large, to what we actually can understand. So the life of faith is going to take a trust beyond what you can see and feel. It just is. And God calls us to that.
in uh, Romans chapter 10, and we're pulling a lot of this out of Romans chapter 10. Starting in, and this is also in the message 11 uh, down through 14. Scripture reassures us, no one who trusts God like this, heart and soul. No one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. It's exactly the same, no matter what person's religious background may be, the same God for all of us, acting the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. Everyone who calls, help God, help, gets help. And it goes on. It's talking about people who haven't heard the message and seen the message of the gospel and the people of God. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard the one who can be trusted? You see, a life of faith means we have found the one who can be trusted. One who's whose agenda goes beyond this world. One who will carry my life through thick and thin. Humility and trust are the place where faith begins. Faith does not begin for us with, I have questions until God satisfies them. I, I can't do that. Years ago, I had a tragedy in my life. I didn't stop going to church, but I stopped doing the things of God. And I told God, you need to tell me what went wrong. You owe me that. I felt like you did owe me that. You need to tell me. I was doing it right and it didn't turn out well for me. At least tell me, if I did something wrong, tell me what I did wrong. And we would have this conversation almost daily, me and God. And God always had one response to me. Do you trust me? That's what he would always say. And God and I were very transparent with one another. So I would answer him, no. I do not trust you. I feel like I did trust you, and that's why I'm here. So we have that conversation again in a day or two. God would say the same thing, same voice. Do you trust me? No. The next day, same conversation. And it would start from different places. We'd be, something would be going on. I would see some ministry opportunity and I'd actually want to get involved, but I would stop myself. No, I'm not going to do that. God, you owe me this answer and I would do that. Do you trust me? Oh, there we are again. The same question. The same answer. My faith was stumped. Because I wanted answers.
I don't care about that question anymore. He never did answer it. And then the humility and the trust and the hope, they are followed by action. We act upon what we have come to believe. What we have come to trust in. Over and over again, we see Jesus use the phrase, follow me. You know, that's the same thing as saying, now let your actions be realized. Let actions now follow what you've heard, what you've believed, what you've understood, what you've come to trust. And then you realize who has really believed and trusted. There was a, a tightrope walker, uh, and they had a line between two buildings, and it was a windy day. And he, would, he asked the crowd, he said, do you think I can walk across here? And they said, yeah, yeah, we think you can. Do it. And he walked across. You think I can walk across? He carried, it was a big object, and he was carrying this object. And Yeah, we think you can do it. Go. So he said, do you think I can push this wheelbarrow across uh, this tightrope? Yes, you can do it. Okay. Get in. Nobody wanted to get in the wheelbarrow. You see, now there's an action. Yeah, we believe you can push it across the tightrope, but we're not getting in. See, that's, that's what Jesus says. Bill, do you trust me? Get in. I believe you can push that across there, Jesus. Let's just leave it at that. And uh, I'll go downstairs and over there and back up and meet you on the other side. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Those are Jesus' words. Ultimately, that's his words to you and I. Follow me. This will complete your faith. This is where the life will come from. Follow me. Let actions now be found in your life. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Follow me, and we'll do what I do. <clears throat> Christina's coming up to read from uh, Romans chapter 10. She'll be reading a good piece of it. I want to set this up for her. The chapter in Romans is talking about sharing the gospel. And it's talking about the power of it. The people of the message. The people of the message. 
how powerful and necessary the message is. Um, if I walk over there, is it going to feed back? All right. Kick hers off if you have to. Read to there and stop, and then I'll pick you up after that. So this is about the message that we have for the world. This is about the message of Jesus. A sight, a sight to take your breath away, grand possessions of people, telling all good things of God. But not everybody is ready for this, ready to see, to hear, and to act. Isaiah asked what, what we all asked at one time or another. Does anyone care, God? Is anyone listening and believing a word of it? The point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. But haven't there been plenty of opportunities for the people to listen and to understand what's going on? Plenty, I'd say. Preachers' voices have gone round the world. <clears throat> their message to earth's seven seas. So the big question is, why didn't the people understand that she had no corner to the message? Moses had it right when he predicted. Go ahead. Keep when you going. see God reach out to those you consider inferiors, the outsiders, you become insanely jealous. When you see God reach out to people, you think they are religiously, religiously stupid. You'll throw temper tantrums. Isaiah dared to speak out these words of God. People found out and welcomed me, who never so much looked for me. And I found and welcomed people who had never even asked about me. Then he capped it with a damning indictment. Day after day after day, I beckoned Israel to, with open arms and got nothing for my trouble but cold shoulders and icy stares. Thank you. <clears throat> it's a passage that I find quite interesting for us. It says, when they hear, do they hear it? They see it. They understand it. The message is there. He goes on to say, that, so God went to other places to perhaps make them jealous. See, we're a people of the message. Last Saturday, we were in Valle del Bravo, Mexico. And they said, uh, they, they said Bill, we're going to do a, a service tonight. We want you to do a miracle service. I said, really, why do you want me to do a miracle service? Well, we have this lady that has cancer. We were going to take her to this uh, miracle service two hours away, and we thought, why don't we have our own? I like that thought. It sounded good to me. So I said, okay, let's have a miracle service, and that was going to be in the evening. And I wanted to reflect and prepare a little bit, and you'll find often that does not get to happen in these places. Um, 
they kept us busy with doing ministry and stuff. I was actually, we were late to the service. They were late getting us there. So they extended worship so that we could, we could get there. Um, the place was full of people. It was packed. And I began the service with just a, a brief biblical understanding of miracles and how I don't like the term miracle service. I, I struggle with the term. The reality is we're a people of the message and that makes us a people of the miracles. If somebody in the world needs a miracle, they should be seeking out the people of God. You see, that's the faith part, the action part that the world needs to know exists. I shared the story where the, a Muslim family, they had a very sick member and the doctor said, we can't do anything else for you. But he said, let me tell you what you, you should do. You should go over to the Vineyard Church. This is in uh, Istanbul. You should go see them. So they did. They drove over to the Vineyard. It was in the middle of the week and the janitor was there. And they said, this person is very sick. The doctor said to bring them to you. So the, the janitor who goes to the church said, okay. And the janitor prayed for this person and they left. And the next day they came back with a van load of people from their community who were sick because that person was healed. The people of the miracle. It was the janitor. Not the pastor. It was the janitor. And you see, there was a revival in a town 40 miles away because of this family who went to the people of the miracle. So, I began this service with an understanding that the gospel people, the people of the gospel, are people who follow Jesus. And, and, they, and Jesus said, now I want you to do what I did. You're hard-pressed to talk about things Jesus did without tripping over a miracle. I mean, you eliminate the miracles, the story of Jesus becomes a lot briefer. There's not a way to get around. He was a man of the miracle. There's just not a way to get around that. Well, he slept. He, he, he was hungry. He bled. He talked. He fed people. Oh, sorry. That was a miracle. So there's not a way to get around. We are a people of the miracle. There's just not a way around it. To be the people of God, to be a people of that message, to do the things Jesus did. He says, I'm sending you, go do what I did. There's not a way to get around. We are a people of the miracle. I don't care if you understand it. I don't care if you're comfortable with it. I don't care if it makes sense to you. I don't care if you haven't seen it work for you. None of that really matters against what the Scripture declares. And Jesus says, do you trust me? Are you going to trust the things that you know? 
So we talked about gifting. We talked about anointing. We talked about calling. All in about three minutes. Talked about seasons of revival and renewal. And here's the truth. All of those things are real. I believe in those things. There are people of gifting, of calling, anointing, all those things. There are seasons of revival where, you, you know, you walk through and your shadow is on someone and they're healed. I, I know. But between all those times and between all those things, you and I, the people of God, are the people of the miracle. And we never relinquish that. Never. I don't care if it's working for you, if it's frustrating. I don't care if you don't understand it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fundamental reality of who we are and what we do until he comes. So if you're looking for evidence of a gift, I would care less about that. If you're familiar with Balaam's donkey, Balaam's donkey spoke to Balaam, brought correction to him from God. We wouldn't say that Balaam's donkey had the gift of tongues. We would just say that God used Balaam's donkey. That makes you and I the donkey. We too can do the work of God. It's that simple. Now, there's millions of books written on the theology of all this. But when it comes down to it, you and I are a people of the miracle. That's the bottom line. And that's what I told them. And I said, if you are here tonight and you are convinced you see miracles, and I said, I guarantee you, you will see miracles tonight. But if you are convinced those are about me, then next week you're going to be planning your next miracle service and you're going to be looking for me or someone that you think is like me to come and do that for you. And I said, I won't do it. Because you are a people of the miracle, just like me. And the world will never change if we relegate the work of the message the work of the miracle to a choice few who take the risk. So, I said, let's pray for our first person. I said, let's have someone who has pain right now. You're experiencing pain right now. Lady jumps up off the first row, comes up to me. I said, where's your pain? She said, it's in the middle of my back. I said, do you know the source of your pain? She said, yes. I said, what is the source of your pain? Cancer. I think she had stomach cancer and it is spread to her brain. Perfect. We're a people of the miracle. So I prayed for her. I prayed for her to be healed. I commanded the cancer to leave, for the pain to leave. I said, did you feel anything? And she said, yes, the pain is gone. Now, I know this is on tape, and I'm, I'm going to be transparent here. I did not believe her. I know, oh man of faith. Uh, I didn't believe her. I thought she was just being nice. So I said, oh, come on. What, what do you feel? My pain is completely gone. No, really, come on. What do you feel? I did this like three times. 
And she just would not back down from her answer. And all of a sudden, the crowd is clapping and cheering. And I thought, they don't believe me. They believe her. I said, okay, well, so, so she sits down and we get somebody else up. They also have cancer. I said, who wants to help me pray? And so that lady wanted to help pray. The one who was just healed wanted to come up and pray. So she prayed for this person. She's instantly healed of pain. Then a lady has a shoulder she injured and she couldn't like raise it above here, something like that was her, was this shoulder, the right shoulder. And so we prayed for her and instantly her shoulder is moving around and she's very excited. She begins to cry. And then a person who's helping with this, because now I'm having people help. She said, God is do, wants to do something in your heart. Something is happening. Anyway, this exchange is happening rapidly and in Spanish. So I'm struggling to stay up. I find out this lady doesn't go to this church. She doesn't go to any church. And she's not a believer. And now she's a believer. And she wanted to accept Christ. So this lady leads her into this relationship with Jesus as they're both weeping. And then other people want prayer. I said, okay, we need more ministry teams. And in about another 20 or 30 minutes, I have stopped praying for people and I'm only going around answering questions. And there are groups, praying for groups, praying for groups. It's, it's happening all over the place. And they're just coming with the, these great questions. Okay, I'm praying for her for these spots to be gone from her face. And all of a sudden, I get this pain in my stomach. What does that mean? I don't know. I said, why don't you talk to her about it? So I went over to the lady and said, so do you know what causes the spots? She said, it's my liver. I said, well, where was your pain? And it was kind of where the liver is. I said, that could be a sympathy pain. Here's what I want you to do. Pray for her liver, not just her spots. Pray for the healing of her liver. And see if your pain goes away. If it doesn't, once she's healed, then have her pray for your stomach. I'm making this stuff up. But it's what I sense to be good. We're people of the miracle more than we are people of complete understanding. We move in what we have and know to be true. We humble ourselves that we don't know everything. We trust that God is faithful we act upon that truth and it produces life not just for us it produces life everywhere I thought about this and I thought about the passage that was just read by Christina all over America other parts of the world Every Sunday, Wednesday, whatever it is, we hear words of truth. Words about trust, about faith, about forgiveness, and love. We go about our lives. But we're not called the people of the miracle, really. Not for the most part. 
And we go as missionaries somewhere else. You see people who have all kinds of demonic stuff. Oh, yeah, I got a wheelchair story I'll share if we have time. Um, And I look around at what God is doing there, and it seems enormous. It seems like the response is enormous. But far less so here. Far less so here. I've had people say, I want to go to Mexico with you. It just sounds like there's a lot more going on there. It sounds a lot more interesting at a service in Mexico than it is here. I would agree with that. (laughs) It looks real different from a Sunday there to coming here for a Sunday. But it's the same God. It's the same faith. And we are still the people of the miracle right here. Maybe that is God's way, as in the text, to make us jealous. We go there with the same thing we have here, and people respond. This is our heritage, not a U.S. heritage. Don't hear that. This is the people of God. We're a people of the miracle. You see, I would love for the people there in Valle del Bravo when they walk out the door to know they are the healing service. They take everything that we had in that service, everything, everything of substance, everything of value, walks with every believer who walks out that door. They are the miracle service. Wherever they go, They carry that power. They carry that hope. They carry that trust, that conviction that saves the world as it saves us. Faith. Is where it becomes action. It's where we take trust, hope, humility, belief, and they are converted to substance. And the world sees it, and we see it. And faith produces faith. If you would stand.